7 in our series looking at foundational Christian truths. As we've been saying over the weeks, we only ever grow through foundations, never ever away from them. And over the weeks, we've looked at different things, creation and Jesus, mankind, God, etc., etc. And we'll continue for many weeks to come. Today, I want to look at the, the, the Word. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, there were two words that I heard all the time. The first word was Lord. Now, I'm coming into the church, I just got saved, and I come in, and I'm listening to people praying, and I'm in the church, and everybody's saying, Lord this, Lord, Lord, Lord. Lord, do this. Thank you, Lord. And the other word I remember hearing repeatedly over and over was the word, Word. And you've just got saved, and you don't really know what it is. They tell, they tell you you've got to study the Word. And then somebody says they've had a Word. And Word, Word, Word. And although I think most people could figure out who the Lord is, right? The Word is not quite so simple. And it's a very good thing as a new believer in your early days to get a full grip on what the Word is. Because when you're reading your Bible, it refers to three very different things. And we're going to look at those today. The first thing it refers to is the written word, which is pretty obvious. The, the Bible, that's called the logos, which is the Greek word for word. The second type of word is the living word, which is Jesus Christ. If you find that in Scripture, that's who it's referring to. Jesus Christ, the living word. And thirdly, the prophetic word, the rhema, the prophetic word of God, which comes in various ways and forms. Today we're going to look at number one and number three because in previous weeks we've looked at who Jesus Christ is. So let's start then and look at what the written word is. In fact, let's pray before we start and just ask God to, to feed us and to open our minds and our ears. Father God, I thank you for the word. I thank you that we're found this morning in the house of God. Or those at home listening on radio, God bless, we bless them. And I pray that as we study this subject, this topic of the Word of God, that you would enlighten us and equip us and expand our mind, expand our understanding, and help us get the most out of the Word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the written Word. Some people call it our paper pope. <laughs> they look at the Catholic Church and they see that the Catholics, you know, they, they look to the Pope for their final rule. And they say, well, you know, you're pretty similar. It's just that you've got a Bible and we've got a Pope. Okay, fair enough. There's a lot of truth in that, I suppose. We do, the, the Bible is the final rule for faith and doctrine. But there's a few, thing I'd say, a few things I'd say about it very quickly. We don't worship the Bible. Pastor Johans was telling us this week that he went to see, uh, I, I don't know what faith the man was from, but the man got his Bible out and he started kissing his Bible. You know, before he would open his Bible, it was a religious thing that he had to kiss his Bible. Now, whilst I, I admire the reverence of the Word of God, amen, but there's just a little touch of danger in there once you start reverencing a book, because that's all it actually is. It's the contents we revere, not the book. So be careful. I was preaching not long ago, and I, I was on a platform, and I was preaching away there, no problem, but there was nowhere for me to put my Bible, and I'd finished with it for that moment. So I just turned around, and I just dropped it on the floor. <laughs> well, I have really offended some people, I can tell you. One man got up. Imagine this. One man got up, walked out in front of everyone, 
picked up my Bible and rubbed it and found a little ledge and put it on the ledge and went back and took his seat. And I thought, carry on, <laughs> doesn't bother me. Listen to what happened later though. About an hour later, that man went outside the church and had a cigarette. And I remember seeing him and thinking, never mind. <laughs> you see, when my Bible is finished and it's worn out and I've written all over it, I'll put it in the bin and I'll get another one. Because it's, it, it, it's, it's ink and it's from a tree. But this here, now this is special, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I need to look after. And, and, and religion so easily twists that thing. Do I revere the Bible? Absolutely. But we don't bow down before statues. Worship of the Bible is called bibliolatry. And it's not what we... We worship God, the living God, not a book. And some people get confused about that, you see? And they start to revere the book. And there's just... You've just got to be careful when you go down that road. So here it is. 66 books... 1,187 chapters, 33,173 verses, 773,746 words, and three and a half million letters. And if you don't believe me, go home this afternoon and you can check it out for yourself. That's what it is. There's a few things that we need to say to get a foundation on what the Word is. A few little just pointers. The first thing I'd say about the Word of God is that scripture I asked you to turn to, 2 Timothy chapter 3, is that the scriptures are God-breathed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll read from verses 14, from verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, that's you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. See the purpose of the Scriptures? To make you wise for salvation, to help you get saved. Through faith in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to focus just on that one little statement there that Paul makes. All Scripture is God-breathed. The Hebrew word for breath, wind, and spirit are the same word. And so you, you, there's an interplay going on there, and I think it's beautiful. It's actually giving us... Look at me a moment. It's actually saying, in my opinion is that the Word comes out of God, you know? Not so much something on the tip of His tongue, but something that He expires or exhales. All Scripture is God-breathed. I, I was in a shop once, and there was this guy there, and he was ahead of me, and he went up to the counter, and he said, uh, you, know, you know, like a Dalek? He said, can I have a pint of milk? Thank you. Can you show me? And I looked, I thought, what's that? And as I looked, he had a little speaker. And I looked, you know, I, oh, I see. Had a scarf around his neck. Oh, I know what's happened. Maybe cancer of the throat. And he's had his voice box removed. <coughs> Larynx is gone. But he can still speak. And that's because speech is carried on your oh, breath. 
And as long as you've got breath in your body, you can manipulate your muscles to actually produce speech. And see, Scripture's great, isn't it? All Scripture is, is God-breathed. And coming up from within that man was his words, if you like. And so it is with God. The Word comes out of God. It's what's in Him. All Scripture is God-breathed. The second thing I'd say about the, the written Word here, the Logos, is that its integrity has been proven. Now, I tell you, there was a time in my life, and maybe there's some of you here this morning, who doubt the infallibility of Scripture. I fully understand there. I, I fully understand that. Because I, I've, I've been there myself. When I got saved, I thought, well, it can't all be absolutely correct. I mean, there's got to be mistakes in here somewhere, you know? And I've heard about them. I've heard people say, this is wrong and that's wrong. I know there's mistakes there. But as you start, as I went to Bible college and you start to study the Word, as the years go by and you start to pick out those so-called contradictions one by one, I slowly began to look at the book a little bit differently as the contradictions were knocked off my list. I started to think, hang on, let's just go back and have a look at this book a minute. From which Jesus said, or which Jesus said was authoritative. It is written. Let's just go back and have a look at this book a moment. And over the years, my opinion has completely changed. And now I believe the Bible to be inerrant. Now, if you had asked me that when I just got saved, I would have said I believed that, but in my heart, I really didn't. In my heart, I thought there's mistakes here, there's things wrong. But I actually had a conversion, if you like. And I believe the Scripture is God-breathed, and it's been protected by Him, and that's a long story. So as God-breathed, its integrity has been proven, and it makes the amazing claim to be sufficient for all your needs. Imagine going to your next-door neighbor and say, hey, I've got a book for you. It will meet every need in your life. Every need? Yes, every need. And the Bible claims to be the all-sufficiency in life, if you like, for instruction, for guidance. And that's outstanding. That's amazing. That means an aborigine who happens to find this can have his problems solved. It means a Wall Street stockbroker can have his problems solved with the very same book. That's an amazing claim. But of course, it's true. You know, listen, <laughs> many people have become extremely wealthy, mega-millionaires through this book, through studying it and listening to the principles involved in wealth and then following those principles. Many people have become exceedingly wise through following the principles in this book. So it's there. It's just we don't use it. But as we just read... The book wasn't given in the first instance to teach you how to make wealth on the earth or even wisdom. The scriptures were given that you might become wise about salvation, Paul just said. So it's that you would be saved. That's the primary purpose. All scripture is God-breathed. I believe its integrity is unshakable and has been proven. It is sufficient for any and every need that you may find in your life. And D on your notes there, and this is the catch, <laughs> you must desire it to enjoy it. Simple as that. Same as a meal that's put before you if you're not hungry. You do not want that food. And you've got to desire the things of God to enjoy the things of God. Full stop. Period. End of story. You've got to keep an active desire. 
you know, people will turn to you and you say, they'll say, Pastor, Pastor, my, the, 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 the Bible is boring to me. Well, what you lack there, friend, is hunger. Because people who don't have a hunger for the church or find church boring or find prayer meetings or cell groups boring, you have lost your hunger for God. Yeah, amen. <laughs> You've lost your hunger for God and you need to rekindle that until you have a fire again within your belly. Amen. Go and fast, as Pastor Illumide said just then. Go and fast. Go and pray. Go and seek God. And get that hunger back for God, for the things of God. And then nobody will keep you away from church or away from the things of God. Are the things of God boring to you? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what that would be to me? ding a ling a ling a ling alarm bells, alarm bells, something seriously wrong with your relationship. One of our members just came back from a very large church. And she said she was sitting in the worship service when the pastor was up on the platform and the pastor was saying, Hallelujah! There's a thousand people out sitting there. Hallelujah! And she said it was awful. It was terrible. Well, you see, that's, remember, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about ticking boxes, right? And many people come to church to tick the box just because of what their friends will say or peer pressure, etc., etc., and that church needs to get away from that kind of attitude, if you like. Because you need to be here this morning because you love Jesus Christ. And you've got a living, lively relationship with Him. And you're following Him. And if, you, if that's not the reason, folks, don't get religious. Don't get religious. This church is going to go through many phases of growth. Look at me a minute. This is serious. <laughs> this church is going to go through many phases of growth. And I'm going to choose the future leaders. When we hit, say, 1,000 to 1,500s, we will only choose leaders from Friday night. That's it. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how skilled or talented you are. I don't care about what you say. If you don't pray, you're not going to lead anybody anywhere in this church. Okay? So you're going to have to make the sacrifices like everybody else. You're going to have to toe the line like everybody else. And you're going to have to keep your own fire burning. Remember the priesthood? God lit the fire the first time. Bang! Divine fire would fall upon your life. But if the fire went out, who lit it the second time? The people had to light it themselves. God would never relight fire. He only lit fire once. So what a picture. And you see, you got saved and God lit your fire. And you had that living relationship with God. Now, if you've lost it, whose responsibility is it? It's not the churches, you see. And that's where everybody goes wrong. They project it onto the church. It's not the churches. It's not God's. It is yours. And it's going to remain yours until you pick it up and take responsibility for your own fire. So it, 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 the Bible is sufficient for, on, for, all, for all things, for all our needs. It must be desired to be enjoyed. And then, of course, there's so many different types of the Bible. Let me give you an example, because that is also confusing. If we went around this room, Good News Bible, that's not a translation. That's what's called a paraphrase, okay? New International Bible, now that's a translation. So there's two different types of Bible for a start, very different. 
So you start to work your way through it. Living Bible. Now that's a paraphrase. New King James, but that's a translation. Right? Let me tell you what the difference is. Paraphrase. If, I para, if, if Illuminae says something to me and I go to tell Jeanette, I say, now don't quote me on this, but he said something like this. That's a paraphrase. I'm paraphrasing him. So a paraphrased Bible is one that is put in someone else's words, but doesn't follow the original text. So it's a very important distinction, because these types of Bible I never use for study. You know, if you're going to study something, you don't need these, because they're not really good for that, because they're not accurate enough. Living Bible, very good translation, but not good for study. For study, you need one of these. You need a translation, right? Now, the King James Version is the most popular one that was written right here in Europe. You've got the American Standard Version that was written by Americans. And then more recently in the 1970s, the, the, the scholars around the world thought, wouldn't it be good, instead of translating Bibles in different countries, wouldn't it be good if we got an international group of scholars together and we brought out a new international type of Bible that was formed by all the different nations? And that's exactly what that is, the new international version. That's quite good. Now, I don't study from that. I only ever study from the New King James, actually, and for very good reasons. I read from this because this is easy to read from. Very good for pulpits, it really is. It's, it's easy to read. But for study, you're going to find many things are missing, in my opinion, in NIV. But it's a perfectly good Bible. Don't be afraid of that. It's a perfectly good Bible. I just prefer New King James for study. So there's different types of Bible. That's the written word, all important in your life. You've got to keep it with you, keep studying it, because it's the foundation on which all else happens. Secondly, there's the living word. And as I say, we, 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 we dealt with, it, with, the, with the personhood of Jesus Christ a few weeks back, so I won't go into any detail on that. But just to finish off the written word, sorry. In terms of how you, in terms of how you approach your Bible and how you read it, if you are taking notes, I'll give you six very quick things that you should do. Read it gratefully. Read it gratefully. Don't treat it tritely or lightly, but read it with great gratitude. I, I lived in a, a, a house, a big, big, big house in Cardiff once with all different bedsits and flats in it. And there was this guy downstairs. His name was David. And I had been witnessing to him over and over and over for maybe two or three years. He never wanted to know. In fact, he was quite mocking and dismissive of me. And I would pass him in the hall. He had a bad leg and he used to walk in and, uh, you know, get away, you know. Didn't want to know. And one day I, I, I came back from church, actually. And it just crossed my mind. I haven't seen David. In fact, I haven't seen David for days. And I just got this feeling there's something wrong. And I, he lived on the ground floor. And I went downstairs and I knocked his door I climbed up outside and looked in the window. There he was. He was actually lying down on the ground. He had fallen over and smashed his cheekbone into the door handle and was in a very bad state. I smashed the window, got a police and ambulance and everything came, took him to the hospital. But it was pretty clear that David was going to die. Now, I probably went towards that guy with my Bible dozens of times because I lived in the same house. And I would be coming back from church or coming from Bible study. Hi, David. Don't want to know. And you know, I went to see David in the hospital. He lost an eye because his face was pushed into the floor for three days. He lay on that floor. 
And as he saw me coming in to his hospital bed with the one good eye, do you know what he saw? He saw the Bible. He saw the thing that he had been dismissing when he thought he had years ahead. And when I walked into the room, he didn't look at me. He looked at this. And he couldn't speak, but he could grunt. And with his eye, and with his grunting, he was looking, he was going, Ah! Ah! Get! You! And I remember looking and thinking, Man, okay, calm down, David. And what he was saying, I'm going to die! I'm about to die! What did you say about that? And I sat down beside him. Remember, I read him Psalm 23 and began to tell him about God and how he needed to repent. In fact, the doctors threw me out because I told him he was going to hell. He's saying they didn't like that. But I got the gospel in. I had to actually return secretly and get into that ward. And it was, it was wonderful, actually, because the last time I saw him, he was radiant. He had completely changed, completely changed. And I thank God for that. See that Bible on your knee? Be grateful. Be grateful. And don't have a situation like that to have, to have to happen before you take it seriously. Firstly, be grateful for it. Secondly, treat it reverently. Absolutely. Do I revere the word? Of course I do. But all the more because you know who wrote it. It's God breathed. So remember the author and be careful what you say about the Bible. Do you know who Voltaire is, the, the, the French philosopher? Voltaire said this. He said many famous things that went down in history. But one day he said this. This is funny. <laughs> he said, 100 years after I die, if you want to read a Bible, you're going to have to go to a museum. Because science will have advanced so much that nobody's going to even bother with it anymore. So Voltaire died. And I thank God. The International Bible Society had enough gumption to buy his home. You know where this is going, don't you? And they use his home to this very day in France as their, their European distribution center for Bibles in all languages. And the man who said, you just got to be careful, treat it reverently, be careful who you're talking about. The man who made a public statement saying 100 years after I die, you'll have to go to a museum to find one of these and read it. The home he left behind is stacked high with Bibles in every tongue. Hallelujah. <laughs> Better be careful what you say about God. Treat it gratefully. Treat it reverently. Read it frequently. Read it prayerfully. And read it personally. Remember, it's a book that's written to you. It's written straight to you to help you. Somebody once said, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. And sixthly, read it obediently. So look at it differently from this day on, I pray. The second thing, as I mentioned, is, is the living word, Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but just as Jesus was the living word, it's the same for us folks. Paul says that we are to be living epistles. Living epistles, that's the same kind of thing, right? We are to be the living word also in our societies. In, in fact, the up-and-coming event is a cracking opportunity for us to be just that to go to our colleagues, our fellow students, our neighbors, our family, and bring them the word and say, come and, you know, come and hear this band. It will be a, a, a good opportunity for us to do that, to, to be a living example of Christ. 
The third one is the prophetic word. And this is where a lot of stuff goes wrong. There's, I, I must say, I'm a little bit concerned about our day, even this church. We need to be much more careful of the way we handle the prophetic word. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Or in some versions it said, made, we have a more sure word. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For, prophet, uh, for prophecy never had its, or, its origin in the will of man, but men, spoke as, uh, uh, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. It's kind of a worrying day. Look at me a moment. See the Bible? It's, it, it, it places the, the Scriptures in first place. Right? God has exalted His Word above His name. And way below that is prophecy. So when you get a prophecy, there's a, there's a prescription here about how you handle it but you just don't see it happen. We don't obey the book. And many of you, are, are you need to listen this morning, very careful, because it's incredibly important. Many lives get messed up on this point. It's a really crucial point for life, for living life. The scripture says this, let's say I get a word, as I did, <laughs> to say I'm going to Glasgow. So I didn't live here, I lived in Dublin, right? So I get a, I'm here, I'm here for two or three months, and I've never been as sure of anything in my life. God says, you're moving here. Do, uh, where's Peniel? Is Peniel here? I said to her in the, in the cell group last week, when you get a word like that, do you obey God or do you obey man? And Peniel said, you obey God. I said, no, you obey man. <laughs> Wrong. And she, she had nowhere to put that, you know? You're telling me not to obey God? Yeah, don't obey God on that. You must obey man on that. I said, I, 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 can't, I can't even begin to understand what you're trying to say to me. What I'm saying is what the Bible says. When you get a word of prophecy, the scripture says this, bring it to the elders and let them weigh it and test it to see if it be true. Because a word of prophecy is not the more sure word here. This is your more sure word, right? So of course we obey this at all times. But prophecy is to be tested. So when God spoke to me and I knew I was coming to Glasgow, what did I do? Obey the word. I went straight to my leaders and I said, this is what I believe. This is what I think. Now, what do I do? They said, get on with your work. You're not going nowhere, boy. So who do I obey? Do I obey God or man? Man. Because all prophecy has to be tested. If only people would do this. I'm no longer responsible. The book tells me what to do. The Bible tells me when I get a prophetic word, I am to bring it to my elders, and they will decide whether it's from God. Now listen close. If after six months or nine months or one year, that word is still burning in me, I would go back to my elders, and I would say, you know what? I know you said that wasn't right, but I still really feel that it was right. Could you pray about it and think about it again? Actually, I had to wait two years. And in all that time, I would not disobey the word of God, even though I had a word from God. Are you with me? 
Now, a man called John Bevere wrote a very good book on this subject called The Bait of Satan. John Bevere was Benny Hinn's youth pastor. And, and, and God really brought this point out in that book. I recommend every Christian to get a hold of that book, The Bait of Satan. It's about this point and how we must learn to function in the church. There's actually a very weak understanding of how to function in the body of Christ, you know. Probably you have a very weak understanding, you know? Now, listen, if God tells you to do something simple, just go and do it, no problem. You don't have to submit every word. I'm talking about words that give you direction. You're very wise. Who, who are you going to marry? I think you'd be very wise to bring that to your pastors, to your elders. Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? What career path are you taking? You would be very wise to do that. Before you buy a property or make big decisions, you would be very wise to bring that to your leadership and say, look, this is what I'm thinking of. What do you think? Weigh that for me. See how you feel. And I can tell you, folks, as a, as a pastor, I'm shocked to this very day at how fast God speaks to me. I'm not even thinking of it. I could be busy and not in the spirit, if you like. And someone will walk up to me and say, you know, uh, uh, we, we were just going to think about buying this house. And bang, God will say it. Go for it. Over and over and over and over, that's happened to me. You see, the church is God's invention. So he, he comes through the church he's built. It's just that we bypass it and then we end up in all sorts of trouble. When you bypass your leaders you know, to your own cost, to your own great cost. The devil has a plan, you know. To children, the devil's plan is to get the children to turn against their parents because the parents are the source of your covering and your protection and your joy. To a husband and wife, the devil's plan is to get them to fight, to disrespect one another. And to the Christian, the plan is to get you to turn against your pastor. So you've got to get smarter than the devil, amen. And you start thinking bad thoughts about your husband or wife. Get the helmet of salvation on your head and say, I will love my husband, I will love my wife, amen. Don't fall for it. And children, obey your parents so that you will be safe and you will be secure. And Christians, learn to live by the book and operate within the structure God has given. These are two different diagrams just to give you an idea of what I'm saying. You see the relationship that God has with you for love? You don't need anybody else for that. If God wants to tell you he loves you, he can tell you himself. And if you want to talk to God, you go right ahead and talk to God. The relationship of love is from God to every man and woman on this earth one-to-one. -one. That's your relationship. This is a different diagram. Not so with authority. Authority is the exact opposite. In fact, you do not have a one-to-one -one with God in terms of your authority. You are under authority. You're under the authority of the church. So in, in, at the head of the church is Christ. Then you have apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Then you have deacons. Then you have departments. And there's you. Right? And me. And me. So I get my word. You see, I go straight to my boss. You see? There's a right way and a wrong way of doing everything. And this book teaches us the right way. I wish I had learned that at the beginning of my Christian life. <laughs> it took me five years of wasted life and then having to backtrack before, because I was a real rebel. I wanted just, you know, to do my own thing my way. And I learned the hard way. 
But about 14 years ago, I decided to obey this. And I decided to live my life in obedience to the men that God had put over me. And I can tell you folks, having been on both sides of the fence, this is so much better, so much more secure. You gotta find the right people to work with and then submit your life to them and work together. There's great security in that. So don't miss it. Question for you. When did you last hear? We're talking about the prophetic word coming to you. When did you last hear from God? Don't answer, please. When did you last get a word that you knew? Remember last week we said, when did you do something in faith? That could have been a long time ago for some of you. When did you last hear from God? I've given you a little list there of the ways and means through which you can hear from God. Number one, through your leaders. You're sitting here this morning, and I hope you hear from God. Right? Because they, they, if, you, if you don't hear from God through your leaders, you need to find another leader. Amen. The second one there is, is incredibly important. You hear from God through worship. Now, let me get really serious. Really, really serious. Look at me again, please. At least more than half of you do not understand worship. You don't understand, you, do, you don't get it, okay? And as long as you don't get it, you're gonna struggle with, with hearing your whole life. So you need to be careful. Why do I say that? I say that because of this. At five to 11, <laughs> at least half of you aren't here. And that tells me very, very, very clearly, you don't understand worship. You don't understand its place. You don't understand what it does to you or the importance of it or you would be on time. I used to think the Africans were the latest people in the world, but now I think it's the Indians. <laughs> Pastor Babu's people, it's, it's like two hours and they're still arriving. I'm thinking, you must be joking. This is nuts. Anyway, look, let, let, let me give you a, a, a silly example about the effect being late for worship will have on your life. Listen to this. Imagine you go to see a movie every week with the same bunch of 10 people. And every week, every Sunday night or Saturday night, you go into town, you go and see a movie. But every week, you turn up half an hour late. The movie's already been running for half an hour. And every week, all your friends come out of the movies going, oh, that was a great picture. That was, did you see that? And you walk out going, I didn't get it. I didn't understand the movie. Well, you were late, you see. You were late. Now, I, I can understand someone being late once, but to be late every Sunday shows that you do not understand the nature of worship. Because it's worship that prepares your heart to hear. I could keep you here for the rest of the week talking about this one. Because I depend on hearing, that's what I do for a living. I have to hear, I've got to hear. But oh, so much, you see people come to me and they're confused. I don't know where I'm going in life, I don't know what. Late, <laughs> late, late friend, late, late. You don't understand. If you're late, you're gonna be confused. The confused people are always, the, well 99% of the time, they're late. And that's why you can't see. Ah. I give you just a couple of examples. We were over there in the other building. I think it was the day that we thought we had this place and we didn't. And we went back over there and we were worshiping God. Did you ever stand in worship and somebody comes up and you're lost in worship and somebody taps you on the shoulder and 
kind of brings you back to earth. Do you know that feeling? Well, I do, anyway. You're lost in worship and someone brings you back. Well, I was standing over there and I was worshiping God and bang, out of the blue, in worship. But it wasn't a person, it was God. And interrupted the worship. And he said this to me. I want you to produce a teaching. Planting churches in the last days. I want you to begin it in prayer, go through discipleship and end up in evangelism and put it out amongst the churches. Ready, steady, go. Okay, Lord, gone. Right. Is that just me that heard that? Back into worship. You see? Just a commission in the middle of praising Him, in the middle of worshiping Him. Vision. Direction for life. Another day in Dublin, I was standing. The worship team were up. And in the middle of the worship, God spoke in my ear. You're hearing because you're worshiping. And he said, stop the worship and pray for a young boy now going through a brain operation. His name's Jason. Get up on the platform. I'd never done that before. I got up. I said, listen, everybody, everybody down. We're praying for this boy. His name's Jason. There's a brain op going on right now. I didn't know where it was or what it was. It was the following week we discovered that a neighboring church, the child of one of the guys, was having an operation. His name was Jason on his brain, and the boy was healed. You can say amen there, guys. Hallelujah. God wanting you to know, see when you worship me, I will meet you in that place. I will meet you in that place and I will talk to you in that place. But you've got to understand it. You've got to give it, you know, precedence in your life and make sure that you get here on time. So if you're going to be here in time next week, put your hand up. <laughs> There's still a few daring ones with your hands down. God save you. Amen. amen. Leaders, worship, and thirdly, hearing will continue to create you, right? You're not finished yet. I was praying for you this morning on this very point, and I had a picture, had a vision, and it was of a child sitting in a, in a, in a chair with long hair, and the mom or the dad were cutting their hair, you know, but the child's got no patience, and they just rip off the towel, and they, they go, I'm not finished yet, come back. You're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. And without the prophetic word coming into your life, you never will be. You need to hear from God. You know, Gideon was a cowardly man, but it was the word of God reaching him that changed him. Jeremiah was the same, terrified of life and everything in it, but it was the word of God reaching him that changed him. And you need to get the word into your heart to change and to grow and to let God continue doing his good work in you. The word, the word, the word. What is the word? That's what the word is. It's the written word. I just invite the worship team back. It's the written word. Your Bible. Treat it with respect. Treat it with reverence. And read it as often as possible. It's the living word. The Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also what we should be. We should be that living word to the society we live in. And lastly, it's the prophetic word. And I hope that God opens your ears this morning and enables you to hear him again, especially if you haven't heard him for some time. Why don't you stand? Stand to your feet, just close your eyes and focus on yourself for one moment. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes, bow your heads and concentrate. On Friday night, we were forcing ourselves to get in contact with the spirit within us 
If you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. Just forget about your brain a minute. Forget about your own thoughts. And just be spiritual right now. Holy Spirit, would you grace us by coming down in this place upon us and by putting us back in contact with you so that we can hear and be rejuvenated, revived, renewed. Would you continue to create us? And God, we sit still this morning giving you the time to do just that. We're not going to be that, like that child that runs away before you're finished. And God, we lift ourselves to you. Would you do your good work in each of us? Send forth words this morning down upon everyone here and let us be created, continue to be created from faith to faith, from glory to glory. I just give you a moment to, to make your peace with God and to find him. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.